Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Kayla Mason. My name is Todd Hixenbaugh. And today we're going to be learning from Hudson Phillips. Now, Hudson co-founded the production company, The Brothers Ray. He is a screenwriter and a new director as well. And he co-hosts the podcast called Four Friends Fight About Film, a podcast about movies and things more important than movies. If they ever happen to find anything more important than movies. Which, there's not many things more important than, than movies, because we love movies. But before we get into that interview with Hudson, uh, we have something really important we wanted to talk to you about first. Uh, we have a, a conference that we're sponsoring, and it's called Together Conference. Now, Together Conference is going to be hosted in Akron, Ohio. Uh, kind of near where we're located. And Together Conference is a conference that focuses on... Um, building bridges, building bridges between communities and people in Northeast Ohio, but really in all of the United States. Together Conferences is a place where people are going to be talking about controversial ideas and things relating to racial division and things of that nature that are happening within our country today. It's a place for people to come together, where communities can come together and people can begin to have relevant conversations about actionable steps towards helping to bridge the gap between communities that might not even speak to each other. And so this is a great opportunity for everybody to be able to participate in that. Some of the people who they're, they're going to be featuring are um, artists Propaganda and Taylor Gray. Caleb, that's where you're supposed to go. Taylor Gray? Propaganda? Nothing? No. No. But I will say this. <clears throat> Propaganda is also going to be having a concert after the conference. So if you like hip hop, you definitely need to check it out. And also a local pastor named Brian Kunkler will also be a featured speaker during the conference. It's going to be a great time to be able to um, to come together, to be able to hear messages. Um, hopefully they can bring us towards reconciliation, as well as bring to the forefront some serious issues that need to be discussed. This conference is going to be taking place on October 28th. It will be in Akron. And if you guys want to check out um, any information on that or find out more about what all is going to be going on, you can see them at citizensakron.com and they'll have all of the information there for you. You can you can uh, pre-register and get yourself a ticket to go to the conference. We're going to be there. Looking forward to that. And uh, that's going to be a great, great opportunity. But today on the podcast, we're going to be, um, like we said earlier, we're going to be talking about Hut with Hudson Phillips. Now, I got to be honest, uh, the, the reason that I wanted to talk with Hudson is because anybody who has hair that looks like that needs to be on the Learner's Corner podcast. Check out that pic that we put up in the, in the little, in the, the, the little, the, the, the thumbnail thing. Check out that guy's hairdo. Awesome guy. We loved talking with him. Hudson just got done filming an entire, his first motion like picture thing, a full length movie. And uh, he just got done doing that. It actually took us several weeks to be able to get him his, on. His motion picture thing? The, the motion picture thing. Don't they call that a movie? Yes. Well, hey, he just got done doing that. Some awesome stuff coming. Uh, creative guy. We loved, loved, loved talking with Hudson. And we're going to join our conversation with Hudson Phillips right now. Well, welcome to the podcast, Hudson Phillips. Hey, what's up, guys? How's it going? We're so glad to have you on the podcast today. Hudson, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on with you right now? 
Yeah, well, I'm super pumped to talk to you guys. So, um, basically, my kind of quick background is um, I've been writing films for, um, gosh, probably like 12 years now. Um, and I kind of found um, some early success in Hollywood selling a screenplay um, back in 2005 to Lionsgate Films. Um, and it was kind of this broad sports comedy that we w- were hoping that would be like a Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson type of thing, uh, which it now sounds kind of dated. But um, uh, so we, we found that early success, and then that movie ended up being uh, like all kinds of everything that could go wrong with it went wrong with it. So um, it ended up being filmed, but they like replaced our script and basically threw out everything we did. So it was this huge learning process for us. Um, so from that on at all, we're kind of like, man, I don't want to write scripts and send them out to LA and get frustrated about it. So we're like, well, we're in Atlanta. What if we just start making movies here? Um, and so that's what we've been doing for about five years now. Uh, mostly short films, some occasional um, like promo videos, commercials, uh, that kind of stuff as well um, for some organizations around Atlanta. Um, but it's all been building up to doing a feature film. And so we just got done actually last week, a 10-day shoot, um, shooting this feature film called This World Alone. Uh, and that's the thing that we're extremely excited about, um, very pumped about it. So it's my first feature film that's actually being filmed at is I actually had my words in it as opposed to the other one that kind of went all wrong. Um, so it's just an incredibly rewarding experience working with an amazing team. Um, I'm a writer and producer, so um, I have to surround myself with, as I say, I always say my greatest talent is surrounding myself with people that are more talented than me. Um, so I've been picking and choosing this team for the past five years as we've been working of um, directors, producers, um, cinematographers, uh, effects people, actors, just people that I love. And so uh, this finally gave me the opportunity to pull all those people together and uh, maybe give them an opportunity to do something they haven't done before um, and create this awesome film. So we're still like super high on it right now. We were extremely happy with things, uh, how things turned out and uh, really pumped about it. Can you tell us a little bit about the plot of the film? Uh, yeah, it's a story. So this is one that um, we were actually prepping a different film uh, with a lot of the same cast and crew but it just kept growing into this big thing and we couldn't quite afford it couldn't figure out how to pay for it so i was talking to the director jordan noel um who's shot all my stuff for as long as i've been doing this um and we said what if we just created from the ground up a screenplay that um is basically one location a couple of people will shoot up in the north georgia mountains um, and make it for as cheap as possible. So we built this idea basically with that construct, um, and it's the story of a uh, young girl. She's about 19, and um, she lives at home uh, with her mother and this kind of mother-sister figure, um, but it takes place in this world, uh, this kind of post-apocalyptic world. So it's like 20 years, and we call it After the Fall, which means that um, basically all technology and um, everything electric has been knocked out in the world. Um, the population considerably decreased. Um, and so it's this kind of makeshift family of these three women attempting to survive in this world. Um, and when one of the women is injured, it's up to the young girl to travel out to get medicine and come back. And it kind of follows her journey. So um, we started trying to make it as small as possible. And we kept adding and making it bigger because that's kind of what we do. Uh, to make it exciting, uh, but it's to me it's just this. Um, it's it's low budget, but it feels big. It's like a big story, big action adventure drama. Um, really wanted to tell a story looking at mother daughter relationship. 
um, and kind of explore this theme of why we raise sons and daughters differently um, and the kind of ideas behind that. And so each of these kind of mother figures on his life falls in one of these two categories of either the kind of, you know, doggy dog, only the strong survive versus the kind of more grace-filled world. And so she's pulled between these two worlds. And that's something that I've always wanted to kind of explore and a, a theme that I feel is like flowing throughout my own life. Uh, as I'm a father as well, but a 13 year old son. So, wow. so what what made you want to get into film? Um, well, uh, from a, from a real young age, I, I was always into writing. So writing was that thing in school that I sort of was gravitated to and then excelled at. You know, I remember having a creative writing class in seventh grade. It was the first time that like my the teacher read my stuff aloud in front of the class, you know, it was the first time I was like, I did great at something. Um, and so I just had a passion for it. Um, and a big part of that also was, um, I just love movies. Uh, I love the kind of escapism of it. Uh, when I was a kid, went through kind of a tragic experience where my, my father, um, was in an automobile accident and he lost his life. Um, and dealing with that as a kid was really tough. And one of my, one of the ways I dealt with that was kind of disappearing into film. Um, and I feel like, in some ways, film was kind of like a father figure to me in a lot of ways. So I just really gravitated towards storytelling, really gravitated toward movies. I felt like movies had power. Uh, I felt like they had something to say. Uh, and as I grew older, I didn't really know what to do with those loves um, until, uh, I mean, even in college, I kind of went for marketing. I didn't really understand that you could make movies and stuff uh, because this was, you know, 20 years ago before we all had cameras on our phones and it was a little harder. You know, in high school, we'd make kind of VHS videos that were like dumb ripoffs of Die Hard and stuff. Uh, but I didn't take it seriously until uh, much later. Um, and then one day, I just called up my buddy Lance, who runs the company with me. Um, and I said, hey, what if we just started writing movies? And he was pumped about it. And then it kind of got going from there. So what what are some of your favorite stories right now? Um, well, uh I feel like everybody's saying that the great stories are taking place on TV, mm -hmm. but um, I just have no time to watch TV anymore. I mean, I feel like this is one thing. I run this organization called Script Blast, which um, kind of hopefully mentors young writers and stuff um, and gives people kind of a, a place to complain, but also learn and to learn from each other and stuff. Um, and so that's the one thing I tell them is like, look, if you want to be a writer, you kind of have to sacrifice things that are important, like Game of Thrones, uh, because you just don't have time. You know, you've got so many hours in the day, and uh, if you want to be a writer, you got to put the time into it. So um, I feel like I've missed out on all these great stories. But right now on TV, uh, I'm trying to watch uh, Mr. Robot, uh, Westworld, almost done with the first season of that, uh, Legion. So I'm, I'm always drawn to these stories that are. Uh, and it's the same thing that I write, which is um, human stories, but with a bit of a fantasy or sci-fi element to it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've got a couple of favorite authors. Um, this guy, Brian K. Vaughn, who writes comics, um, uh, is doing a, a comic called Saga right now, which is fantastic. Uh, this guy, Max Berry, who's a novelist, um, did this book, Machine Man, which is one of my favorite books. Uh, a book called Lexicon is another one of his. Um, so I try to make time for, for that kind of stuff. Read a lot of comics, read a lot of novels, um, not so much TV. Uh, Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is I just eat that stuff up. Uh, that's Who like my ultimate it? goal is to write one of those films. Who, who so, um, does we'll it? See. That stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you got some people that love the DC movies, which, uh, you know. Well, those He's one of them. I do. I do. 
Yeah. Listen. <laughs> Wonder yeah. Woman was you, good, but that's yeah. about it. Yeah, you don't have to choose. You can love both of them. Right. Yeah, yeah. But Marvel's better. Yes. I, I totally agree. I don't disagree with that. Mm-hmm. So as as we were, you know, looking on your website and everything, one of the things that yeah. stood out to us was this quote right here. So uh-huh. says, oh, we chose a ray gun as our logo because it harnesses the power of light. A ray of light continues to travel through space infinitely. We can see, still see stars that are billions of years old and millions of light years away. This is the power of story. So talk to us a little bit about the power of story and what it means to you. Yeah. Well, let me explain it because our, our, our production company is called The Brothers Ray. Um, and it's actually named after our good friend, um, who um, unfortunately took his own life uh, when we were in college. Um, and so me and Lance and, and Kyle, the three guys that run the production company, um, all started it together, kind of in memory of him and the way that he lived his life. And um, just a, the, the kindest, nicest, sweetest guy you've ever met who really invested in other people. Uh, so we were like, well, let's take that to our filmmaking careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his last name was Ray. His name was Marcus Ray. Um, but then as we were playing with it, we we're like, oh, it'd be cool to do like a ray gun as a logo. Um, and then on top of that, we kind of landed on this idea. We love how, um, you know, a, a ray of light uh, lasts forever, you know, um, and kind of landed on that thematically. So but, but to me, um, the to me, it's very personal. So the power of story um, and, and it's actually very much tied into to my buddy Marcus who died. Um, I remember having lunch with his dad years later, um, and his dad uh, was kind of working in ministry, um, but he had kind of given up on that for a long time. And after his son died, uh, he he decided to become a pastor. And I would ask him why he did that, and he said that um, he wanted to help people that had gone through the same situation that he'd been through. And when I had this conversation with him, I was divorced, I was broke, I was a struggling screenwriter, nothing was working for me, um, just in a real bad place, uh, and having this conversation with this guy, and he said, you know, Hudson, what you need to be doing is taking all of the all this struggle that you've been through and using your gifts to tell those stories, to tell those stories that are emotionally honest and transparent um, so that you can help people heal. Uh, and there's this great... Um, there's this great illustration of this um, that is kind of wraps up everything that I'm about. And it, it's this um, this doctor called uh, V.S. Ramachandran. So he created this device called a mirror box, and it's called mirror box therapy. It is for um, people who have had, like, phantom limb pain. So let's say you lose a hand um, uh, overseas in battle or something like that in the Army, and so um, you your hand feels like you still have your hand that's balled up. Uh, and it's giving you a lot of pain. So he created this mirror box thing where you put both of your hands in, and it's got a mirror in it, so you see a reflection of, let's say you lost your right hand, you see a reflection of your left hand, so it looks like you have both your hands again. And he would say to his um, to his um, patients, he said, okay, ball up your fist like it feels like, and then open it up. And when you open up your left hand, you'll see your right hand opening, and then um, the pain will be relieved. And it worked. He created this thing. It's what people use now for phantom limb pain. Um, and I heard this illustration explained to me as, oh, this is what art does. This is what good filmmaking does. Mm. That when you see your pain 
reflected on screen in a transparent and honest way, you can receive healing. So to me, you know, you've got all these films that are like, you know, super messagey or like super kind of gospel-y films that people make and they try to ram you over the head with this message, um, which that never works if people just tune it out. But the second that you try to be honest and open and completely transparent about what experiences are like, that's where people feel, find healing. Um, and I found that in my own life. And I found that when I started adding that to my writing, adding that level of things, that it completely changed everything. So that to me is the power of storytelling. That's the power of film. Um, and that's kind of what guides my life and everything that I do now is that concept. Mm-hmm. So whenever you're like creating a story and writing a script, what have you found to be like some of the keys to telling a good story? Um, I mean, a lot of what we just talked about, so being honest and being transparent, um, which I think a lot of people are afraid to do because it's, um, it's hard. It's hard to be honest about the emotional places that you've been. Um, but that's what people connect to. So to me, everything about screenwriting is trying to connect with your audience. Um, and that starts with the person that's reading your screenplay, that's going to finance it or going to produce it. Um, and then translates to the audience of watching it as well. And that might be different for everybody. But I always feel like the more honest you are about those emotional struggles, the more people will connect with it. Um, And even the more kind of specific that you can be with it. Um, Outside of that, I'm a big, you know, I'm big on uh, planning and structure and setup and payoff and all those things that you kind of have to learn by doing um, that make straight films. Um, So there's, uh, well, I'll recommend one book that I completely love. This book called The Coffee Break Screenwriter uh, by Pilar Alessandra. And she wrote this book. Basically, the idea is that you can write over and uh, write an entire screenplay in ten minute increments. But because she breaks it down in these ten minute increments, it makes it uh, it just completely basically screenwriting for dummies, like from beginning to end. Um, she nails everything you could possibly want to know about writing a screenplay. Um, so that's like the one that I really recommend to people. Um, and uh, but it's but really. To me, it's you learn by doing. Like, if you wanna, if you wanna write screenplays, a read some screenplays. Uh, B write as many screenplays as you can because it is its own unique art form, and you are writing to a reader first before you're writing as a blueprint for a film. Um, so that's kind of on the practical side, uh, but to me, it still always comes back to the kind of emotional honesty of it. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about you know kind of pitching your screenplay or like pitching? an idea for a film and kind of like what that, like what that process has looked like for you? Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, to me, I've, I've pitched ideas to like studios before, which is pretty nerve wracking. Um, and I've pitched ideas of more than likely it's me pitching to like my friends, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, there is a certain, um, I don't know. I think if you're pitching to someone important, if you can look at them as if they're a friend, it really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it's all just, um, you know, when you leave a movie, uh, let's say you go see a movie and you leave it and you're telling your friend about it. Uh, and you're like, oh, this happens and this happens. And I really connected with this. That's essentially what you want to do when you're doing a pitch. Um, you want to, and again, and, and I'm going to sound like a broken record talking about these, you know, kind of emotional honesty. Um, but I think that's what sells a film. I think that if you're in a room pitching to somebody, if you can't tap into some kind of emotional core in them, they're not going to connect with it. Um, the whole goal is to get people to connect with the story. Um, and, and, and you can pitch, you know, your specific story, but there's gotta be something in there that's going to connect with that other person. So 
you know, one of the things that um, we've seen on your website too is that, you know, you've worked with a lot of different clients and different companies. And so how uh-huh. do you manage the tension between, you know, working for a client and uh, fulfilling what they want and then being, you know, authentic and true to yourself as well? Yeah. Um, to me, it's all about finding, like, I can't write for a client if I don't connect with what they're trying to say. So to me, it's all about finding that. Um, so I'll try to talk that through with them, figure out what exactly they're trying to say. I also come from a marketing background. Um, so it's a little, uh, easier for me to say, Hey, what is, what is your goal with what you're making here? What are you attempting to say? Uh, it's my job to make sure that's said clearly. Um, so really just finding out those goals, making sure we're all going in the same direction. Um, making sure we're all trying to reach those, um, experience the same emotions um because the details of their emotions might be different than mine um but the undercurrent of it um is very similar we all experience kind of the same things even though the details of what we experience might be differently Mm -hmm. now with that so as you as you're doing it what could you name like some of the differences between when you're actually writing uh, something for somebody and when you're um, in your own creative process, like you're, you're making something that you're, like you said, you're going to pitch to your friends. Like, is right. there a difference between the two for you? Like, do you find there's a difference? Oh, um, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, for, for doing something for a client, I mean, usually it's not quite as creative. I mean, we've done stuff that, it's fun. You know, we end up writing a lot of things for, um, churches and different organizations like that where they want comedy. So we've kind of become like the comedy guys in terms of that. And so that stuff, it's just fun. It's just throwing out jokes and still trying to find the emotions in those scenes, but, um, it's just having fun, you know? So for, for stuff that, that I write for myself or I write for our team, um, it's honestly, it's what I most want to see. You know, when you're writing for a client, you try to find out what the client likes and you bend to that. Um, for me, it's just everything that I want to do and everything I want to say and everything that I want to see. Um, so to me, it's I'm only going to write a movie that I would be first in line to see in the movie theater. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, anything less than that, it's my that passion isn't going to be on the page. And it'll really show uh, in your work if you're actually thrilled about what you're writing or not. So how do you continue to keep passion like over the years as you continue to write? Like I, I guess I think of it in terms of, you know, with doing the podcast, like we want to have yeah. conversations with people about things that we're passionate about. Like how do you continue to keep passion and how do you continue to be able to put forth, you know, these ideas? Like what do you do? You do anything specific? Um, no, I mean, I'll, I set aside specific times to write because I know that life gets in the way. So if I don't do that, um, then I'm going to struggle to get something done. Um, but that plays into passion too, because the truth is no matter how passionate I am about writing, if I don't make time for it, other stuff's going to get in the way, you know, and other good stuff, you know, time with family, time with my wife, time at work, you know, um, spending time, uh, with friends doing stuff that I love to do. But, um, uh, and, my, and my wife has started to read me, you know, I've been remarried for about two years now. She started to read me better than I read myself. And so she'll be like, you're in a bad mood. You need to go right. Um, so, and, and so I try to make a point of really scheduling that time. Um, first time, first thing in the morning is really important for me. That's where I feel like I have the most energy. It used to be that way. I used to sleep in all the time. But at some point in my 30s, it hit me that, you know, I really 
thrive on the sense of accomplishment of doing something first thing in the morning. It really affects the rest of my day. So I try to do that. Um, so I think it's just, it's making time for your passions, um, is a big part of that. Uh, you know, the, the less you do it, the easier it is to, to forget how great it is and what throw it gives your life. But I think everybody's kind of got something in them. They're built for something. And if they're not doing that thing, that it's going to, um, kind of, uh, influence the rest of their life as well. And you're going to notice. How do you go about, you know, whenever, whenever you're writing, how do you go about like determining that this is something that I'm just writing for like practice or something along those lines versus, you know, like, man, I think this could be a film or whether it be a short yeah. film or a feature. How do you go about like distinguishing between the two for you? Um, well, to me, there is no distinguishing. To me, everything that I write is intended to be made at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, now, 90% of it doesn't get made, but I set out with that thought and that goal. Um, and honestly, it's trust in terms of what does get made, it's trusting other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. So it's showing it to friends. It's um, chasing what has the momentum. You know, some things will kind of take off that I didn't expect to take off. I mean, this one that we just did... Um, the previous film I'd worked on for like two years and was all ready to film it. That was the one we couldn't get together financially. And this other one we put together and end up writing, shooting, producing everything uh, in like five months. And so like there's certain things that you just have to follow the momentum. Um, and it may not be the one that you think, um, but you got to keep an kind of open eye, open ear to those um, to keep that momentum going when it does. So how do you go about like figuring out what you want to write about that morning? Is it just, you know, this is what I care about right now or what's your process look like for that? Um, yeah, it goes back to, I mean, a, whatever's got the most momentum, that's what I'll probably be working on. Um, cause again, the goal is if it just sits on my computer, um, that's not where I want it to be. So I'm going to chase whatever's going to get made. Uh, so some of that might be like a comic book project. So, Let's say that I meet an artist who's excited about working on something. So I was like, oh, I'll spend a little time on this right now to kind of develop that. Um, uh, maybe it's a, a writer that I really love and I'm working on developing a short film with them because I want their voice to be heard somehow. Um, or, or like I said, it's something with, with our team, with, with Jordan, the director, who he's just passionate about something. I know if he's passionate about it, he's going to make it happen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase that thing. Um but you know, ultimately for me, it's um, it, it's whatever gives me a thrill is what I'm gonna I'm gonna concentrate on. Whatever I'm excited about at that moment, um, and hopefully I'm excited about everything that I'm doing um, as long as I'm able to add that voice to it. Um, and I feel like I've been really lucky to get to work only on projects that I'm really excited about, either for myself or kind of um, fast forwarding someone else's dreams in the process. So. I just had a really random thing pop into my head. Are you like a paper, pencil, pen guy, or are you like a computer person? No, I'm, I'm on the computer like 24 hours a day. I wish I was a paper guy. That sounds cooler, right? Or like an old typewriter or something. Uh, well, actually, so as I'm thinking of you doing this, I am picturing you yeah. like a typewriter. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm on my computer all day, um, which is you know probably going to be bad for my hands and eyes and posture at some point in my life but um we'll see yeah so the next thing we want to talk with you about is about you know some of the goals that you have listed on your website you know you you say that you know your goals are simple to build strong intimate relationships to make wise financial decisions for our investors to tell highly imaginative and emotionally honest stories in an egoless environment you know, just the key theme that, you know, just kept coming up to me is just this idea 
of selflessness, you know, in all of your goals. So kind of what, what led to you pursuing those goals and how do you like live those out? Um, I mean, I feel like it's a bit misleading to say that it's purely selfless. Um, so that's kind of our mission statement. That's what we live by. So those three things, which are, we care about relationships. We take money seriously. We're not just going to throw it around. Um, and we want to tell emotional, emotionally honest stories, um, in an egoless environment. So, I mean, honestly, that comes out of, to me, filmmaking is, and this became especially true on the film we just shot, where everybody is equally important. So everybody um, has something unique uh, and irreplaceable to add um, from the actors to the grips to the composer to the investors. Um, and it's my job to make sure that they all feel valuable and it's my job to listen to all of them because they actually are valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's, it's hard for me to... Like, I felt like one of my jobs on set was that, to make sure everybody felt important, make sure there were no egos involved. Um, because, I mean, I don't know, maybe that works out for some people. If you're a writer, director, star type of guy or something, you run the set, but that's just, I'm not interested in that. Um, and like I said before, I want I wanted to surround myself with talented people because I think a better product comes out when you collaborate with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of, I don't know, I, I just have a feeling uh, that no matter what I'll be doing, it'll always be that. Um, I would never in a million years attempt to do someone else's job because someone else is going to do it better than I can because that's the one thing they concentrate you on, you know? Um, so that's kind of the goal is just to give everybody a voice, give everybody, make sure they feel valuable. Um, and just, you know, if anybody's getting too big of an ego, kind of kick it in the butt before it gets there because, um, they kind of have to be on board with what we're doing. And, and based on how everybody responded to this film, I, it made me feel really good to hear everybody say, oh, you know, it felt like a family. Um, you know, everybody felt like they were on the same page. So it was really cool. The other thing that I kind of – the word that came to my mind whenever I read that was integrity. Like, uh-huh. when I think of When I think of movie filmmaking, when I think of – honestly, when I think of Hollywood, integrity is not a word that comes to my <laughs> mind. And I'm just being yeah. honest. Yeah, no, absolutely. How, 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 like, how do you differentiate yourself? Because that really does, to me, feel like the word that describes those three things. Uh-huh. How do you maintain integrity as a film writer, really in an industry that, like, they're trying to sell something at any and all costs? Like, it doesn't right. matter. Like, how yeah. do you maintain integrity? Um, I mean, being in Atlanta helps. So Atlanta is really growing in terms of the film industry, but it's all kind of below the line it's you know cameraman and it's grips and it's stuff like that there in atlanta um they still bring in all the big stars and all the big writers and all the big directors from out there um but you know i mean atlanta's just a chill place you can go to the you can go to the coffee shop and you're not everybody around you is not also going to be a screenwriter which is really nice uh, because i imagine if i was in that world i probably would start to turn into this cutthroat guy because you kind of have to be you're competing with everybody else around you um, but we just live on our own world and we do our own thing out in Atlanta, you know. Uh, we keep things cheap, so um, we don't have somebody pulling the strings above us in terms of like a studio or a production company like that. Uh, which, you know, I would love to one day because I'd love to make bigger films. Uh, I'm certainly never going to make a, a Marvel film <laughs> working with our small team in Atlanta. But, um, 
in, in terms of integrity, it's, it's, and a lot of it's finding the right people. You know, sometimes we don't, sometimes we end up working with somebody and we're like, Ooh, we're not really interested in working with them again. Um, and it's keeping that, those waters kind of pure, you know, and not muddying it with the wrong people. Um, everybody being on the same page, but I found in Atlanta, 90% of people in the film industry in Atlanta just care about film. They care about the art of it. They care about the craft of it. Uh, so it's been really cool to see. And, it's, it's, and I feel like it's been easy to keep that integrity in that kind of environment. You keep talking about film in terms of art. Like why is film to you uh, art? I, I mean I think a lot of people would say that it is. But what to yeah. you makes it an art form? Um, well, film to me more than any other art form um, – allows for empathy so it allows you to put yourself into the shoes of someone else um so like an example i would give is um the movie hidden figures so i have no idea what it's like to be a a black woman in the 1960s in virginia and a mathematician working for nasa um until i saw that movie right Mm -hmm. and then you're able to put yourself in the shoes of someone else uh, and then I could recognize, oh, I've never been in that spot, but I do know what it's like to be not taken seriously. I do know what it's like to have something in me that no one else can see. And you start to relate. You start to connect. And you're like, oh, my gosh, we're not that different. Um, and I think film does that better than any other art form um, when it's done right, when it's done honestly. Uh, like I was speaking before, when it's done uh, in a way that's transparent. Um because, you know, you can fake it. You can get up there and say, oh, this is what it's really like and put a, 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 a pretty picture on everything, but no one connects with that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just think it um, I think it allows for empathy, uh, which is, to me, it's, it's, what, it, it's why we're alive, you know, to try to connect with other human beings. Um, and, and I think film really captures that in a unique way. So I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago. You know, you said that your job on the set was to make everybody feel important. So, what, uh, like, what are some things that you did to help make everybody feel important? Because, I mean, to me, I'm just thinking, you know, you're truly right whenever you said, you know, if the lead, in your case, the lead actor, the lead actress, right. you know, decides, man, screw these people. I'm Yeah. <laughs> Right. It could go totally off the rails. So what did you do to make everyone feel equal, equally important? Um, honestly, it's just, uh, it's just getting to know people. It's not treating them like a employee. It's treating them like a person. Um, so like I, you know, on these small films, you do multiple jobs. So I like drove the grip van around and, um, I got to hang out with the kind of grip and electric guys and just talking to them and just saying, Hey, what are you guys working on? What are you passionate about? Um, you know, what do you want to do with your future? And just kind of listening. Um, what do you think about the film so far? And we got a lot of good feedback from those guys. Um, and just creating a, a level playing field. So, I mean, even, you know, actors are helping us move furniture around, moving equipment around and stuff. Everybody kind of, uh, once you see the nature of the film set, everybody kind of jumps in and becomes part of that. Um, and, and if, if you're not part of that, you're going to feel kind of left out, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but honestly, yeah, it's just, uh, I think it's just listening. I think it's just, um, m- making a point to strike up those conversations with people that you normally wouldn't. Um, and, uh, making them feel like they're on the same level as, as everybody else. So what would you say are, are like some of the big things that you learned on set for your first feature film? Um, I mean, the big thing is like finding the right team is everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, find the people that are the best at what they do and have a passion for your project. Um, 
and be open to listening to them and the ideas that they might have. I feel like, you know, you might get the, the coolest idea from like your sound guy, you know what I mean? Like you just never know and being open to that and not, not creating an environment where you think you're better than everybody. Um, the other thing is, um, it's just get out there and do it. Um, so don't wait for the right circumstances to kind of land in your lap. Just go make it happen. Um, I mean, the great thing is you, I mean, like we ended up getting really lucky and we had some nice equipment and some extremely talented people on it. But if we didn't have that, Gordon and I would be up there with whatever we had, you know, we'd be taking his camera to the mountains and be the two of us and it'd be one actor and we'd figure that out. Um, so I think that's part of it is I think that, um, um, you just, you just have to make it happen. Um, and I think that no one's. Uh, no one's going to give you a shot, so um, you just got to go and, and do it on your own, uh, which sounds like kind of an ego thing, but you know that's with the caveat that you've got to surround yourself with this team in order to make that happen, too. Um, so those are kind of the two big things. Find a great team, just go out and make it happen. Um, and I think I feel like you can do that no matter where you live in the world. Um, there's people that are, that are into film um, everywhere that you go, and maybe that means giving a shot to somebody who's not experienced. We had a lot of people that this is their first time in this particular job on set and they all killed it and were amazing at it. Um, so giving people a shot, uh, but, um, you know, find your team all in it together, go make it happen. How did you, you keep talking about the team. Yeah. Do you have any tricks for how to put, you talk about putting together like a talented team, people who, who are better than you at different things. How did you go about, putting together that team? I mean, is there any tricks or tips or did you just know people already? It's it's all just completely random. Some people were suggested. um, Some people, like our director of photography, um, I met like on a dating site one time and she ended up coming working for us after that. Um, Our, my director guy I've known for years but ran into him at a show hey what are you doing oh I'm directing music videos oh I'm writing screenplays we should do something together like you just never know like just put yourself out there um you know go to these meetup events you know we've met people at uh, film festivals that even if they didn't work on the film they suggested somebody that did um and some places we got lucky so it's a lot of a lot of guys this was the first time we worked with them on anything and they were just fantastic but they were recommendations of recommendations you know um so uh and, and a lot of that is from shooting smaller things so we had the luxury of shooting a few short films like four or five before we did this one um so we can test people out and say who's working who's not um and kind of move from there but you know i mean it just comes from everywhere you know people people know people so ask you know, um, every time you meet somebody in film, they are probably working with somebody else that does that kind of thing. Um, or a lot of it was also giving shots to new people. So, um, yeah, we got, we got really lucky, but, um, I feel like, uh, you know, we're constantly crafting that team and we'll invite a ton of these people back next time we shoot something as well. So once you kind of were finding these folks and getting them together, like what was, like, how did you go about really casting a vision for a project that's, I mean, it's a pretty big project. You know, yeah. how did you kind of go about casting that vision to kind of get everybody on board and pulling in the same direction? Yeah, I mean, practically speaking, we we created this pitch shop, so for investors and also for um, people that worked on it, they kind of gave an overview of the story, why we're telling the story, kind of like visual inspiration of the story, who the key team members already had on board. Uh, so everybody kind of had a good idea before coming into it, but you know. 
not everybody reads that stuff. So a lot of guys came on set and they had no idea what we were doing, um, but they kind of picked it up as they go. So one of my favorite compliments was our sound guy was just kind of listening to the whole film as we went. Uh, he said, I haven't read the screenplay or anything, but this is the most like complete story I've ever worked on. Cause like just the, and we shot completely out of order, but he's like, Oh, I'm picking up on the stories. I go, and it's really cool. So I thought that was neat that it kind of worked, even though it was completely out of order. Um, but, uh, even more so than that, it's, uh, communicating what kind of set it's going to be. So this one in particular, we were 10 days, no days off staying in one house, super like summer camp vibe and so we were very transparent about that up front like look this is going to be long days this is going to be us all staying together we're going to have fun we're going to be creative but it's going to be a lot of hard work uh so we communicated up front so hopefully we attracted people that were excited about that so hudson when are you expecting the film to be released well we are currently um editing it so we're trying to turn it around in six weeks because um we're trying for Sundance Film Festival, which is kind of the big film festival, um, which I personally, I mean, look, I'm, I'm positive about it, but that's a hard festival to get into, and there's a lot that goes into that. But we just kind of set that as a goal because it was the first deadline, so we got to finish it in six weeks, which is nuts, um, but we're going to attempt to do it, and we'll see how it goes. Um, certainly, if we don't get into that, I mean, even if we do get into that, we're going to be entering a ton of festivals uh, in the next six months. So we enter festivals, we see how it goes, hopefully pick up some distribution, and um, we'll be doing maybe like a friends and family screening in Atlanta to get people excited about it, um, to show it back to our investors and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, looking for distribution. And uh, But you can currently follow the film online. So thisworldalone.com, uh, on Facebook and Instagram, we're This World Alone Film. And on Twitter, we're TWA Film, because apparently you can't fit that many letters in a username on Twitter, which we learned since we set that one up last. But, uh, yeah, so people can follow along, and we've got, like, we're showing tons of screenshots and behind-the-scenes stuff and interviews, and so um, it's, it's kind of fun to be part of that process as well. Awesome. And if people want to continue to learn from you, how can they do that? Uh, so the best place is um, where I spend most of my time is Script Blast, so scriptblast.com. Uh, this blast is in like explosion, you know. Um, and then uh, we have a, a, a private Facebook group called uh, for Script Blast, um, which is Facebook.com/slash/group/slash Script Blast. Um, but anybody can join. So if you're a writer and you're looking for kind of feedback on your work or want to connect with other writers, that's the best place to do that. Um, you can follow our um, production stuff at uh, thebrothersray.com and uh, we also do a podcast called Four Friends Fight About Film which is um, that same kind of filmmaking team where we all talk about movies um, you can find that at, uh, on um, you know wherever you listen to podcasts awesome well thanks so much for joining us today Hudson yeah guys this was amazing I uh, really love the questions you asked this is the kind of stuff that I could talk about for days and days so um, made me very excited to be able to share this with you guys Great. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks so much. I think one of the biggest takeaways that we can apply coming out of that interview from Hudson is just the idea of making sure that what whatever emotions you have get expressed through your work because that's the strongest way to resonate with people. So whatever you're doing, whether you're leading a project or creating something, finding a way to express your emotions and your true self through that. Now, on the next episode of the Learner's Quarter podcast, we're going to be talking with Corey Easterday, who works for Current Initiatives. 
And Corey is the founder and director of Currents Ohio Division. And their initiatives are The Laundry Project and Affordable Christmas. The best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or however you listen to podcasts. Or our website. If you want to see some of our key takeaways from this episode, check out our show notes. That's my cue, guys. So the show notes are a really cool thing because Caleb J. Mason does them for us. But in those show notes, you can find all sorts of interesting stuff. Uh, There will be links. Anything that was mentioned in today's episode, you can find links to all that there. You can also find, you know, quotes that you can tweet out, look like all the other cool kids on the block. That's all in there. Um, The other thing that you can do um, is, well, just to find them, like, all you have to do is go to your podcast player. In Overcast, which is the one that Caleb and I use, you can find the little eye icon next to the episode. Click on that. Swipe over, you'll be right there. However you got to get there, get there. The show notes are what all the cool kids are doing. The other thing you can do in there is you can find a link to our website. Our website is thelearnerscornerpodcast.simplecast.fm. Go and check that out. It's there. You can see all of our episodes. You can also see beautiful pictures of our faces because I'm always talking about how you can't see us. Follow us on Twitter. Go do that. If this podcast has helped you in any way, you can show your appreciation by leaving us a rating and writing a review of the podcast on iTunes. It's the best way that you can help us spread the message of the Learner's Corner. Also, go and check out Together Conference, citizensakron.com. Check them out. Be there on October 28th. You can also show your appreciation by hitting us up on social media. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram at the Learner's Corner or on Twitter at Learners Podcast. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.